Listener Production. Hello, happy Friday. Welcome to The Briefing. I'm Sasha Barbagat. We're no strangers to a bit of generational warfare in Australia, whether it's ripping on baby boomers for taking photos with iPads, telling Gen Y to lay off the Avo toast, or maybe berating Gen Z for bringing back baggy cargo pants and crop tops. But there's another key generational divide, the one that exposes each cohort's parenting styles. This time, it's the millennials' turn. I personally don't believe Generation Alpha are lazy or entitled. I think they are going to have some unique challenges in their life with regards to the context that's shaped them. But I do think millennial parents are trying their best. On today's Deep Dive, we're looking into this latest generation of kids, Gen Alpha, to find out whether their Gen Y parents are ruining them with screens and coddling or helping raise one of the most emotionally healthy groups of young people we've ever seen. First though, Katrina Blowers is here with the headlines. It's Friday, February 23rd. Hey everyone, well Alexei Navalny's mother has confirmed she has been shown her son's body after his death at an Arctic penal colony. Last night they secretly took me to the morgue where they showed me Alexei's body. The investigators claim that they know the cause of death. Ludmila Navalnya has also released a video address to Navalny's YouTube channel saying Russian authorities are pressuring her to allow a secret burial. She claims they want to bury him on the outskirts of a cemetery but not allow her to witness the burial itself and that she's being blackmailed with threats of harm coming to her son's body if she doesn't accept the conditions. The former opposition leader's secretary says his death certificate states he died of natural causes. Navalny's widow says he was murdered on the orders of Vladimir Putin. The Kremlin has denied those allegations, calling Western reactions to the death hysterical. And Sasha, you know, this pressure to allow a secret burial would mean that the death, I guess, would not become some kind of political event. Um, There's been a lot of uh, heavy-handed tactics used by authorities this week across Russia, you know, taking down makeshift uh, memorials as soon as they're been set up and, you know, people being arrested um, for mourning. Yeah, that's right. And there is pressure on Russia to release. Uh, at last count, it was just over 400 people who had been arrested uh, for either protesting or la- even just laying flowers uh, in memory of Alexei Navalny. And uh, Ludmilla, his mother, is pressuring Russian authorities to release his body to her. The fact that they're making this fight so public, I think they're hoping that Russia's going to be held to account. We know uh, Russia doesn't have a great track record when it comes to, you know, doing the right thing, but the pressure is there. So you've got to take your hat off to Ludmilla and Alexei Navalny's wife, widow, uh, for keeping up the pressure on Vladimir Putin and the Russian authorities. The average Australian earns just under $2,000 a week before tax, according to the latest ABS data. The weekly earnings for full-time adults was $1,888.80 in November last year, which is an annual increase of 4.5%, or about 81 bucks a week. It is the strongest increase we've seen in more than 10 years, other than a spike early in the pandemic. And we also know it's best to be in Western Australia. Their average is the highest of all the states and 
Territories at $2,108. The ACT comes in next at about 20 bucks lower. And the worst wages are in Tassie at $1,670 a week. So good news, Katrina, I suppose, to finally be seeing some wage growth. We know it's not quite keeping up with inflation, but hopefully we're seeing the tide turn. Yeah. And if you're wondering, you know, which industries are best paid, well, we've got that info too. Workers in mining, no surprise there, Mm -hmm. are the best paid at almost $3,000 a week. Stressing this is before tax. Mm -hmm. Uh, Information, media and telecommunications comes in next. wonder what kind of media that is. (laughs) (laughs) At about $2,400. And professional, scientific and technical services comes in next at about $2,200. And the lowest paid are those in the accommodation and food services. We've got some news now that could be a game changer for at least one in nine women and girls in Australia. So that's a lot of people. The Therapeutic Goods Administration has approved a new pill to treat endometriosis. This is the first new treatment for the condition in 13 years. And up until now, some pretty invasive surgery has been one of the only ways to treat endo. This debilitating condition makes up 15 of every thousand hospital admissions in females aged between 15 and 44 and it occurs when tissue similar to the lining of the uterus starts growing outside it and this causes horrific pain. I know quite a few people in my life affected by this and it also can affect other organs and lead to inflammation, scar tissue, lesions. Uh, So Sasha, this new oral medication works to treat the symptoms of endo and also works to prevent excess tissue growth. Yeah, so we have the name. Uh, we believe it's pronounced Ryako. It's new, so we're still learning the pronunciation, spelled R-Y-E-Q-O. Look, it isn't on the PBS just yet, which means it is expensive. A script will cost $135 for a month's supply. And yes, you do need a prescription from a specialist or doctor. But a submission has been made to the PBS Advisory Committee to hopefully get them to approve subsidising the drug. And we will hear a decision about that at next month's meeting. It's really a positive step, Katrina. I also know quite a few endo sufferers. It is really, really debilitating. And it takes a long time to diagnose as well. So we're seeing these women who are suffering, suffering in silence and pain with feeling like they have no one and no help. Uh, So I think the fact that we have our first new treatment in 13 years is a really, really positive step forward. And Guinness World Records has stripped the dog, formerly known as the world's oldest, of his title. Bobby's owners claimed the Portuguese Mastiff was 31 years old, but the record keepers say there's just not enough proof that confirms his advanced age. Now, the pup passed away in October. That was eight months after he claimed the record from Guinness. But vets quickly started questioning Bobby's age, mainly due to the fact that he was overweight. It's very unlikely that an overweight dog will live to such an advanced age. Uh, Veterinary Voices, a group representing 18,000 professionals, said not a single one of its members believed Bobby was 30. And there were questions raised about pictures, Katrina. So, you know, we saw... I, I've been I've been following this story because I'm a dog obsessed person. I'm and sure you have. <laughs> when the story came out, you know there were all these videos of Bobby like wandering around this little Portuguese town. It was such a feel good moment. But people started comparing pictures 
of old, uh, you know, Bobby when he was younger and he had different coloured paws and uh, people were like, hmm, we're not sure if this is the same dog. Yeah, look, I know that some breeds can change colour. Like I used to have a German Shepherd when he was a puppy. He was black and then he turned tan. But Mm. yeah, I've also seen those photos. They are pretty damning. And look, in human years, if Bobby had really lived to 31, he would have been more than 200 in human years. So it is quite unlikely. But, you know, let's not age shame Bobby too much because up until that moment when he was crowned the world's oldest dog. The previous record holder was an Australian cattle dog who died in 1939, aged 29, apparently. And what they're saying, they're trying to say that, um, look, microchipping records with Bobby cannot conclusively prove his age. But I'm sure that uh, there wasn't any microchipping around back in 1939. So are they going to strip Bluey as well? I think fair's fair. I feel like Uh, my whole life's been a lie and that we just can't rely on Guinness World Records anymore. Um, It's worth noting as well, Bobby's (laughs) owner, Lionel Costa, has not responded to any uh, inquiries as to confirming Bobby's age. So, yeah, I mean, look... (laughs) One of those things, I guess, that happens when you're uh, the world's oldest dog. But I know you're going to continue following this story, so we will have updates for you. (laughs) Now, before we get into today's deep dive, we just wanted to shout out a couple of our great listener comments we've received this week. First off, listener Lani reached out after Monday's episode about dementia care. She told us that her dad is currently living with dementia and uh, she says he's one of the lucky ones that's in a care home that allows him to live a normal life. So thank you, Lani, for your comment and for reaching out and all the best to you and your dad. Yeah, absolutely. And at Shazam79 commented on our video from yesterday's ep about rent vesting and they said it feels gross to talk about tax concessions and deductions when millions of people struggle to maintain a roof over their head. That is a good point. And uh, it is one we'll be looking at closer in the coming weeks as well. And at Amibel commented on Bensian's chat about Woolies CEO Brad Banducci quitting the top job saying good riddance. I'm sure he's going to get a massive payout though. And yeah, <laughs> we found out yesterday he's walking away with $24 million in shares. Yes. Wow. Not surprising, is it, when a big CEO quits? Hey, thanks so much to everyone who has reached out with story ideas and suggestions. We do love to hear from you. You can get in touch with us on Instagram. Just search The Briefing. Thank you so much, Katrina. We hope you have a fabulous weekend. Let's get into today's interview with Ashley Fell now, examining what millennial parents are getting right and wrong as they raise Generation Alpha. Millennials, according to McCrindle Research, represent the generation born between 1980 and 1994, and they're the most likely to be the parents of Generation Alpha. Defined by the rise of the internet and coming of age during the millennium, millennials are also in line to be the first generation that will end up worse off financially than their parents. Millennials value equality, whether that's at home or in the workplace, chasing their dreams and education. Many care about climate change, politics and social justice and are engaged with the world around them. They also love a weekend brunch, the latest tech and overseas travel. 
Enter Gen Alpha, the children of millennials. While we're still learning exactly who this group of kids will be, we do know a few things. They were born between 2010 and this year, 2024. They're the first to be entirely born in the 21st century and will never know a world without the internet. They spent their formative years living with COVID, social media influences and global wars. While researchers are optimistic about the future of Gen Alpha, discussions have been rife online as this group of kids enters teenagehood. They're rude, they're not resilient, they can hardly read or write, they're emotionally coddled by their parents, aren't given boundaries and are addicted to their screens. The fear is millennials are raising a bunch of soft kids who have no idea how to exist in the real world. But is that true? How much can we put down to how they've been raised? What mistakes are Gen Y mums, dads and caregivers making? And what are they getting right? They're big questions and joining me to have a crack at answering them is Ashley Fell. She's a social researcher, TEDx speaker and director of advisory at McCrindle. Ashley, thanks for chatting to us. So are millennials raising a bunch of lazy, entitled, screen-addicted kids? I don't think so personally. From the research that we've conducted, from all the studies that I have looked at, being a millennial myself um, and really navigating and delving into this generation of parents and also this generation of children in Gen Alpha, I don't think that's the case. I think millennial parents um, do have it pretty tough today in terms of they are raising a new generation entirely born in the 21st century We're talking about a generation who began being born with Gen Alpha um, in 2010, and that was the same year that the iPad was released, that Instagram launched. And so millennial parents are trying to battle these big tech companies whose goal and desire and purpose is to keep our attention on these devices for as long as possible. So there's there's that technical social media challenge. There's the COVID impact. Um, And I personally don't believe Generation Alpha are lazy or entitled. I think they are going to have some unique challenges in their life with regards to the context that's shaped them. But I do think millennial parents are trying their best. Absolutely. We did ask our listeners about the mistakes that they think Gen Y is making when it comes to raising Gen Alpha. Overwhelmingly, the response we got was around boundaries, namely that this next crop of kids coming through aren't being given enough boundaries. Do you think that's a fair assessment And is it something that we're going to see impacts the way that they then interact with the world? Yeah, I think one of the challenges even around this context is with the millennial generation, me being one of them, um, you know, often both parents have to be at work. So you've got this generation kind of outsourcing some of that childcare, even discipline to childcare centres, to schools. I think this generation as well in terms of these kids in Gen Alpha, they're not engaging as much in extracurricular activities. They're not spending as much time outside. They're not involved in scouts as much as previous generations. All these areas that did, I think, help um, to have a community that was raising a child to help instill those boundaries. Uh, So I do think boundaries does play into it. But again, the context in which the millennial generation are parenting in terms of these kind of tougher economic times, this smashed Avo generation who have had difficulties getting into the housing market, obtaining a mortgage, both parents having to work, um, outsourcing childcare. I think that kind of all does play into the challenge around parenting young children today and that question of boundaries as well. The other big criticism that I've seen come up, and this came from our listeners, but also what I've noticed on social media and which kind of sparked my interest in this story was the idea of resilience and that parents are problem solving for their kids too much. They're afraid of their kids feeling pain or awkwardness or boredom. You know, I 
feel like this then plays into the internet issue where kids are constantly having something in front of them. But resilience stretches further than that. How are we seeing that manifest in Gen Alpha? Yeah, resilience is huge. And I do think the context around technology, around um, childcare, all of that is playing into this idea that millennial parents are trying to also probably respond to the way that they were parented themselves, maybe a little bit more of that discipline and how their kind of baby boomer parents parented them. And now they're swinging the other way and going, okay, well, we want to empower these kids. We want them to be engaged. And they're growing up in these times with more information than ever before, with more devices than ever before. And so I do think there is that challenge of helping kids to have resilience Something else that we've seen as well is this idea of what's called nature deficit disorder, where in this world where we have so much information and devices and screens and COVID really accelerated that, I think, for Generation Alpha in terms of how much screens are involved and incorporated into their life. We're not really getting outside as much. We're not hiking as much. We're not doing some of those activities where we get challenged, where we have to fail, where we have to learn and grow. And so I do think that all does play into the idea that um, the millennial parents of today do have this challenge of wanting to protect their kids and shelter them from all of the evils of this world, which we now, as a thinker generation, we know so much more about because we have so much more information and news. Um, But then this idea that they also need to release their kids and let them fail and let them learn and grow. So there's always that tension. And I think every generation of Parents listening would say we face that tension as well, but the context of that today for this particular generation of parents, parenting this particular generation of children in Gen Alpha, I think does change a bit and and those tensions that this generation of parents are particularly facing today is a little bit different to those of the past. Yeah, and I want to bring it back to the internet and also COVID. So these are two major things that have happened or were around when I'm talking about the internet for this generation that started being born in 2010. How much of the external factor is manifesting in these criticisms of Gen Alpha kids versus how much does parenting have to do with it? Mm. It's a great question. I think there's definitely elements of both in terms of millennial parents today, each millennial household, I'm sure, each each parent um, is got their own way of doing things. Um, but in terms of that broader context with technology, with social media, it does pose a bit of a challenge. And I think what I've seen from the studies I've done and the research that we have Um, worked on is that this generation in Gen Alpha, because they are used to engaging with social media and gaming from such young age, they've they've only ever known this world of of the iPad and Instagram, it can kind of manifest in this idea that this main character environment where they're like, well, I'm used to contributing and, and solving problems and I'm involved in worlds like Fortnite and Minecraft where they're really active participants. It's not as passive as it used to be. Um, So there's that challenge, I think, with regards to maybe creating this kind of, some of the words I've heard is this iGen, like it's all about me and and that sort of thing. But the other side I've seen is that this access to information and other perspectives through social media also is growing this generation in empathy. So I think there's, there's pros and cons, but with regards to that question, I think it's elements of both. Let's talk about some things this crop of parents are getting right. And the big one I saw in responses from our listeners was, around emotional well-being for children and the idea that millennial parents are much more focused on the emotional well-being of their children because it's almost in opposition to what their baby boomer parents did. How are we seeing that manifest in kids of the Generation Alpha group? 
Yeah, it's definitely something we've seen in terms of this greater awareness and greater openness towards talking about emotions, mental health, well-being. That's just, I think, been a societal shift that we've seen over the last couple of years and even the decade. But again, how it manifests itself in parents is I think that they are uh, more open to talking about things with their children, identifying and naming feelings, um, and those well-being challenges. You know, every generation of kids has had to deal with bullies, but again, this idea that now it's it's kind of exacerbated through technology, and there's this lack of ability to escape it all. And so there's there's some new challenges that crop up with kind of some age-old challenges, I think. So there's that tension there as well. Um, but we do see, yeah, this generation of millennial parents doing some great things. Um, and I think the other thing I would say about the millennials is that we're a generation that also are pretty tech savvy, um, quite different to being raised today as teenagers and children. But this generation of millennials, um, you know, did grow up with some of those early social media in their teens and 20s. uh, And so that does play into it as well. What else are we seeing millennial parents getting right? Yeah, I think this generation of millennial parents are getting that right with around emotional well-being and mental health, but as well as even, I think, knowing the downsides of social media and technology. I think when we think about generations and technology, I would say Gen Z kind of got the real raw end of the deal because they were kind of this global experiment generation where they we have kind of thrust social media into their hands from the youngest of ages, whereas now we've had these devices, these platforms for long enough that we know the downsides. And so I do think that is translating into millennials going, okay, we might need to pare back the screen time. We might need to spend some more time outside. We need to focus on our holistic well-being. And so these generation of parents are more informed than ever before. And that's got its pros and its cons, being more aware of the downsides, but also they've got this ability to research anything at the drop of a hat. They can find out information, they can do research about what's best. And so I think that is a great thing that they're doing. We're also seeing that this generation of parents through our research are actually trying to help their Gen Alpha kids be equipped for a pretty tough economic climate moving forward. So they're trying to work really hard. Um, We've We've seen even from the Australian Bureau of Statistics with the census, the millennials are contributing. They're not lazy and snowflakes like we were kind of branded a few years ago. They're they're engaging in the defence force. They're the biggest taxpayer generation. Um, most parents, both of them are working. So I think those values um, are being translated into Generation Alpha. And just that other trend, I would say, is this generation of parents are really focusing on empathy and instilling a care for the environment in their Generation Alpha children. That was Ashley Fell, social researcher, TEDx speaker and director of advisory at McCrindle. And that is all for this morning's podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure you check back the Savo at three for another deep dive. And we would love to hear your thoughts on today's topic. Do you think millennial parents as a whole are creating less resilient and screen addicted kids? Or will Gen Alpha be the most emotionally stable and validated group of young people to date? Send us your thoughts on Instagram at The Briefing Podcast. And while you're there, give us a follow. And you can also join our exclusive broadcast channel while you're there. It's called Behind the Briefing and it's an all access pass to the podcast, its hosts and producers. I'm Sasha Barbagat. Thank you so much for listening. Have a fabulous weekend. Listener.